Christmas music reminds us of the good times gone by. Right? And, and, their, and their familiar uh, tunes are one of the things that makes Christmas really feel like Christmas. And you know, I think that's even more true of the sacred Christmas hymns that we love to sing right now, isn't it? Because, you know, those carols are more than just music. And those lyrics are more than just poetry because their words remind us of the reason for the season. They remind us of the birth of a Savior. The the very same one that the people of God have been waiting and watching for ever since mankind's fall in the garden. Uh, The one who would come to rescue us. The seed of the woman that was to crush the head of the enemy. And you know, that's the very same sentiment that we've been looking at in our psalm series this month as well. Uh, looking at it in those 15 psalms of ascent that we've been traveling through. And I think maybe saying traveling through is a good way to put it because as we've seen, these psalms were designed to be traveling music. Music that that starts down low and and rises up slowly so that, uh, at least for the people of David's day, by the time you had sung through all of them, the kids can stop asking, are we there yet? (laughs) Because you'll have arrived. You'll have arrived in the holy city to celebrate the advent of the king. And so that's our focus today uh, as we look at this little cluster of choruses. I guess you can call them choruses. Uh, We're going to be looking at nine out of the 15. And I know your bulletin says 10, but it's only because your pastor can't count. And and you you probably know seven out of five pastors can't count. Um, So (laughs) some of you will get that later. But we're, we're really only looking at nine of them, <laughs> stretching from Psalm 123 to Psalm 131. And, and I'm taking them all together like that today for one thing, because they're super short. They're just a few verses in each so that they would have been really easy for, for kids and for adults to, to memorize. And, and they were meant to be sung as just little bursts of praise, like uh, maybe your kids did and now probably your grandkids would do uh, as you're riding along on a holiday road trip. And, and I'm not going to read them all to you, I promise. Uh, in their entirety. You can do that on your own later. But I do want to give you the flavor of the whole collection. And so to do that, I'm going to read just four of them from three different composers. We're going to be looking at Psalm 123 and Psalm 130 from an unknown author, an unknown artist. We're going to be reading Psalm 127, which is listed as a Psalm of Solomon. And then 131 that's written by David. So, you know, you can probably follow along in your own Bibles, but you don't have to today since we're going to be jumping around. Uh, But the first one, Psalm 123, a song of ascent. The psalmist writes, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. This next Psalm 127 is written by King Solomon, who writes, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early. Go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. 
Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Psalm 130. The psalmist writes, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And close out with a writing by King David, who says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, these scriptures uh, we know have been written for our good, for our learning. Uh, and yet so many times, Lord, we don't apply them to our hearts. And so we ask you, Lord, to send your Holy Spirit now uh, that these next few moments would be uh, a time not just to, to listen to, to my opinions or to our own thoughts. Uh, but we know that, Father, when your word is preached, that your voice is heard. And so we ask that your sheep would hear your voice today. You would move and change our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And all these things we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you remember... Um, we said that one of the reasons this little grouping of sacred music is called the Psalms of Ascent is because of the fact that uh, Jerusalem is built, is located on a plateau about 2,800 feet above sea level. And so no matter what direction you approach the city from, you are always literally going up to Jerusalem. And, and so they're called Psalms of Ascent because they're sung by people going up to the holy city as they travel. And they begin with a picture of a, a solitary believer crying out to God back in Psalm 120 where we started. A believer in the midst of trouble far away from their spiritual home. And they end, where we'll actually end on, on Christmas Eve, with a, a, a whole group of believers offering up to God praises in his temple courts. And you know, God's people have always been a singing people and a praising people. And, and God gave us these psalms to help us give expression to those feelings in our hearts and provide us what one commentator called stepping stones to the heart of worship. Stepping stones to the heart of worship. I like that. And, and so as we read these psalms of ascent today, they hold great meaning for us as well because as Christians, you know, we're also on a journey. Now, of course, we're not literally on a journey to the city of Jerusalem, but rather we're on a spiritual journey. We're on a pilgrimage of the heart so that we can can be there to welcome the king when he arrives and, and when we do to realize and we talked about this in sunday school this morning that it, it's been him that's been tracking us down all the time just waiting to overtake us with his mercy it's the same message that the great reformer martin luther preached uh, every year in these days leading up to christmas a holiday you know that in many ways has been shaped by our protestant faith uh, at least the best parts of the holiday have been. Uh, but, you know, Luther's Christmas sermons have been preserved, and, and all throughout his preaching on the incarnation of Christ, Martin Luther's deepest longing was for the simplicity 
of this humble message to make its way into people's hearts. A, a message emphasizing that he said, when it comes to our eternal salvation, it is not we who come seeking the king, but that the king comes to us. And actually, in his, his uh, Christmas Day message in, in 1521, Luther drives that point home, and, and I love this quote. <clears throat> he said, this is what is meant by the scripture, thy king cometh. He says, that you do not seek him, but he seeks you. And listen to this part. He says, you do not find him, he finds you. For preachers come from him, not from you. And their sermons come from him and not from you. And your faith comes from him and not from you. And where he does not come, you remain outside. Amen. Where he does not come, you remain outside. And therefore, he says, you should not ask where to begin to be godly. There is no beginning except where King Jesus enters and is proclaimed. The king who willingly left the glory of the throne room of heaven to be born in the humility of the manger from where we celebrate his birth and mark the advent of our salvation. That same salvation that the people of God longed for as they prayed and sang in these psalms of ascent centuries earlier. Remember we just read, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. And today, 2,000 years later, these words still speak to the people of God, and they, they take on a very special meaning for us during Advent as we prepare for the entrance of Christ into the world. Kind of in the same way that the psalmist called on his people to throw open the gates of their hearts to God and throw open the doors of their lives in service to him and to others uh, in just that same way that the holy city threw open its portals to receive the streams of holiday pilgrims that descended on it to celebrate the hope of the Messiah. And, and singing together from Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Don't you need that right now? I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And you know that same humble, peaceful spirit of Psalm 131 and those other psalms of ascent was actually uh, was present with, with Luther and the Reformers right at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation that led us here today when they spoke and wrote and preached on the life of Christ uh, and particularly on his miraculous birth. Because, uh, you know, over the course of more than 30 years in ministry, uh, Luther often preached on the Christmas narratives in the gospel and, and from other passages like the Psalms that we're looking at related to the incarnation of God the Son. Uh, and usually he would preach several times a week through Advent, particularly Christmas week. And, and like I said, I can barely get you guys to come twice in a week. I know I wouldn't try for three. Um, but, but he spent Christmas week carefully working through each passage in Luke verse by verse uh, he also wrote at least five Christmas carols we know of, composing the music and coming up with the lyrics. Uh, and in all of that, his biographers recorded that as Christmas approached, uh, that Luther grew incre increasingly cheerful. And in fact, uh, one of them records that uh, at, at this time of year, all Luther's words and songs and thoughts concerned the incarnation of Jesus. And then he would look at the people gathered around him and sigh and say, Oh, we poor 
people that we should be so cold and so indifferent to the great joy that has been given us. He said, if Christ had arrived with trumpets and lain in a cradle of gold, his birth would have been a splendid affair. But it wouldn't have been a comfort to me. He said he was rather to lie in the lap of a poor maiden and be thought of little significance in the eyes of the world so that now even I can come to him because he reveals himself to the downtrodden and the lowly. You see, he wanted to emphasize that, that Christ, the King of glory, came humbly through the gates of heaven and into this world, into us, into humanity, into our humble circumstances at Christmas, not to be served himself, but to serve others and to take up residence in the hearts of the faithful. And that's the very heart of Psalm 123 where we read, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Looking to, to God for all, all of our needs, from the food we eat to the love we share to the salvation that we're seeking. That's the message of the psalmists. That was the desire of the reformer's heart in, in preaching the gospel. In fact, uh, there's a, a really familiar uh, Protestant prayer uh, that captures the spirit of the text today. And some of you may know this. Uh, it goes, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, our morning joy, our evening rest, and with our daily bread impart your love and peace to every heart. Anybody know that one? Okay. Now, now unfortunately, oftentimes that's been reduced to just a table blessing, uh, rattled off in haste without much thought, as folks wait to dig into the food that's on the table in front of them. But if you really stop to think about today's Psalms and about that prayer, what an amazing thought it really is. The thought that we poor sinners ask Jesus himself to come through the door of our hearts and live inside of us. That we ask the Lord strong and mighty to be near us and to be around us and to be in our gates when we all too often rebel against his presence because of our willful sin. And so this morning, as we take a look at these psalms and as we travel through this Advent season as a whole, we need to be asking ourselves, how can you and I best receive Christ this Christmas? How can we more fully invite our great King to enter our gates and our everyday lives and our relationships? And, and for those maybe here or, or listening who don't know Christ, maybe you're asking, how, how is it even possible that he's able or willing to come into our hearts? How do we do any of that? How can we possibly pray, come Lord Jesus, be our guest? Especially when the great King David began his psalm today by reminding us of the immense greatness of the God that we're addressing. That's why we read, I lift my eyes to you, O Lord, who are enthroned in the heavens. And so when we realize that if God is the one who creates this whole universe, if if he's the one by whose rule the world is, is maintained, then how can any of us reasonably expect to meet him? But you know, our, our psalm covers that too, because remember we read in Psalm 130, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plenteous redemption. Aren't you glad that's true? I know I am, because I know me, and I know my sins, and, and I know my faults. Luther said the same thing. He said he never felt he could live up to God's standards. He never felt like 
he could live up to God's high standards because he said no matter how many good works he did, there were never enough of them. And even the ones he tried to do weren't good enough. The great apostle St. Paul echoed that same sentiment in Romans chapter 7 where he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He said, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And so if these giants of the faith, men like King David and, and King Saul, or uh, King Solomon, I mean, and Paul and, and Martin Luther, all these great heroes of the faith don't measure up, how can we hope to? Right? How can any of us dare to pray, Come, Lord Jesus, and be our guest? Well, thankfully, the psalms that we've been looking at, these psalms of ascent, pull us through that rough patch of a question and into the answer that we read in Psalm 130. Out of the depths, once we recognize the depths that we're in, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. See, and those who seek God and who cry out to Him and, and put their trust in Him alone receive His salvation. They receive His Jesus. And we receive His perfect righteousness from God as a gift, the gift of the Christ at Christmas by whose blood shed on the cross our hands are washed clean and through which we are invited to participate in the greatest gift exchange that's ever taken place in human history. The greatest gift exchange that's ever taken place in human history. And that's saying a lot, especially this time of year, as the Christmas season descends and, you know, we're seeing countless commercials on TV and, and magazines and internet where about what we're supposed to buy for one another or, or buy for ourselves. And, of course, the implied promise is if, if, if you give this thing or if I, I receive that thing, then we'll be happy, right? And, and certainly there's a, there's a rush of excitement in, you know, receiving a special gift. Like, so don't cross me off your Christmas list, honey. I, I still want the present. Uh, but let, let's be honest. I mean, most people probably can't remember what you got for Christmas last year, e even though it seemed super important then, right? And life can be like that. When I was thinking about that, it kind of reminded me of a, a husband and wife who went Christmas shopping in the mall and the, the husband wanders off. We do that, right, guys? Right. And, and so, so his wife was done shopping. She called to ask where he was. When the husband answered the phone, he, he said, honey, do you remember uh, that jewelry store we went to 10 years ago? You, you, you know, the one where you saw that beautiful diamond necklace? And, and I said, you know, I, I can't afford it now, but one day... When I have a little money put aside that I'd go back and buy it for you? And so I said, yeah, I, I, I remember, she said in her excitement. Uh, and he said, well, I'm at the donut shop right next door drinking a coffee. <laughs> Talk about a Christmas letdown, huh? But, you know, commercially, the, the commercial side of Christmas, at least, is like that. It, it, it can't live up to even the world's own promises and the standards that we've let the world set in our minds. And so we have to exchange our man-made expectations about Christmas for the kind of gift exchange that we have in Christ. And if you're wondering what that exchange program is, brothers and sisters, it's the very heart of the gospel. The beating heart of the gospel. That Christ took on himself the punishment for sin and in exchange God reckoned to our account the perfect righteousness of his Son. See, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. He said, for our sake, he, meaning God, made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. 
Luther put it like this. He said, this is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners wherein by a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ's? Not Christ's, but ours. Because by Christ's perfect purity we are made pure. By His perfect obedience to God the Father our idolatry is erased and we receive that vindication that righteousness, that declaration of perfection without sin or spot or blemish or stain, that the Lamb of Bethlehem, the conquering Savior of Calvary, the King of glory, our Lord Jesus Christ gives to us freely. The one who would reign on the throne of your heart and mine this Christmas. And so, brothers and sisters, as the King of glory comes to you today, and you recognize who it is that's coming to you in the word and in worship and in the season and the sacraments that you receive, all those humble and ordinary means of grace, that it's Jesus himself come to offer you his greatest gift. But have you received it? Have you received your king? And more accurately, I should say, has he unlocked the door of your heart? Do you, do you feel him throwing the, the gates of your resistance to him open? And if you do, then all that's left to do is pray that, that simple prayer. Come in, dear Jesus. Come in. Come in. Receive him like David and, and Solomon and the other psalmists in those choruses from the psalm of ascents, rejoicing and, and happy with eager expectation and confident of the salvation that he brings. Uh, receive him like, like Luther and the reformers who were weighed down by physical difficulties and social ills of their day and spiritual problems of this life, but who trusted in the king of glory to conquer their fears and to cleanse their hearts uh, like no religious devotion or canon law could ever hope to do and then welcome him with the joy and cheer and the warmth of jerusalem at festival time welcome him with the warmth of the luther's wittenberg parsonage at christmas all the places whose doors were thrown wide open to the waiting world but even better maybe welcome him like the open hearts of the shepherds right and with open hands reach out to others so that we can keep the physical and spiritual doors of this holy house open, whether in person or online or over the radio, to a world that needs to hear the good news that Christ brings now more than ever before. The good news of the grace and love he has for you and me and for all who receive him because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, this Advent season, let's throw wide the portals of our lives for the King of glory to enter in, praying in the words of Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning, praying, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let our lives for you be blessed. Fill each heart with all we need of your Spirit's grace to heed, your saving call that bids us rest. Change our sins for holiness. Come Lord Jesus, Come, we plead, and we'll serve you here in word and deed. And may that be our prayer at Christmas and always. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much that you were willing to send your Son uh, to leave the, the heavenly glory to come to this earth, <clears throat> to be born in a, a humble manger and in a trough meant for animal feed, uh, but to be here with us, Father, in our lowliness and our humanity showing us that no one lord is beyond the reach of your love and so we ask you lord to fill each heart and mind with your holy spirit uh, if there are any here today listening or under the sound of my voice that don't know you as their lord and savior I ask you to 
uh, open their eyes to the reality of your presence, change their hearts by the good news of the gospel, and let this Christmas season be uh, the very first days of a new life in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> and will you join me in confessing what we believe in the Apostles' Creed and in our closing hymn? So let's confess publicly what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. <clears throat> he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.